Right now we're going to turn to His Word, and I'm going to read 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 16. Peter writes, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let us pray. Gracious, almighty, heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would be here among us. We ask that you would be glorified as we read your word and have your word wash over us so that you will be all that we desire, all that we need. And we will recognize you as beautiful as you really are. Jesus, we confess that so often we chase after things that we think are beautiful because we set our hearts and our minds on them so much. But Lord, let us see now that you are great and gracious beyond all that this world can give. Holy Spirit, be among us now. Lord, we have so many distractions. We have our own sins that will impede us and get in the way of us hearing your word today. Lord, Holy Spirit, move that aside so that we can concentrate on hearing and obeying your word. Bless us now so that we will truly be blessed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ted Drace was a 48-year-old construction worker, and he decided to take his girlfriend home from the bar one night because he wanted to show her that his 13-foot python was harmless. What could possibly go wrong with this story, right? He went into the cage to prove that he could safely wrap the snake around his neck and not die. At 12.15 a.m., the 911 dispatcher received a frantic call from Amy Joyne. A sheriff deputy soon responded to the scene to find the intoxicated man had smashed his head against the cage and fell to be crushed to death by the snake. Euthanized far too late for Ted's sake, the snake simply did what snakes do. They kill and eat. This story unfortunately far from original, points out what has been said from this pulpit many times. And that is, sin always aims at the utmost. Every time it arises to tempt or entice us, if it has its own way, it will go to the utmost. Sin of that kind. Every unclean thought or glance would be adultery if it could. Every thought of unbelief would be atheism if allowed to develop. Now the snake was not evil for doing what it naturally does. But the snake is also a metaphor for keeping and fondling and caressing Whatever temptation it is that you keep as a pet. That snake represents the reality of 
death that awaits any who trifle with whatever flavor of sin that you savor. Your temptation likewise is also not sin. But when you are tempted, you must kill it quickly or you will also find Ted Drace's snake wrapped around your neck. And it will be the instant and unexpected destruction that awaits any who don't put their sin to death. Now, of course, this story begs the question. It, it, it pleads to have the question answered, how do I go about putting my sins to death? How do I get ready for the spiritual battle that can happen anytime 24-7? Our answer today is that you and I must prepare our minds for action. And we prepare our minds for action by putting our hope, our trust, our confidence in grace. And it comes from this passage I've already read, but I'll read it again. 1 Peter 1, 13-16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since, as it is written, be holy as I am holy. Now, as always and in everything, meaning comes from context. And so we need to discover what the therefore in this case is there for. So we'll start in verse 3. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Don't miss that. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And this born again to a living hope comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then in the next several verses, Peter unpacks what this living hope is. He says, first, this living hope gives us an inheritance that can never perish. He goes on, we are guarded by God's power so that this hope will be fully realized in us. We rejoice in this hope. Even though you and I will go through trials and temptations on this earth. We continue in steadfastness through these trials because this hope proves to those who are watching us the worth, the beauty, the excellencies of God that is far superior over everything that we can get on this earth. And lastly, this hope is in the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Because you and I have this living hope, therefore you and I can prepare our minds for action. And what can prepare your minds for action? Putting your confidence, putting your trust, putting your faith, hoping in grace. 
Now I'm going to concentrate on just on verse 13 this morning. And it's there we'll find our first point. If you want to write down, follow in your notes. This is your first point in your notes. Prepare for action. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I've given you the context, but I want to let Robert Mounts tie this context of this living hope to the therefore we read in verse 13. He says, because believers have received a salvation sufficiently great. Read that amazing grace is how you should read that. We have received a salvation that is sufficiently great to give rise to inexpressible joy in the midst of suffering. Because all this is true, a new and different kind of life is expected. He goes on, to gird up the loins of your mind, which is how it's translated in the King James, means to bring under control all the loose flowing thoughts that would impede our spiritual progress. Now, this phrase, to gird up the loins of your mind, is a more literal translation than the ESV who translates the sense, prepare your minds for action. You see, men used to wear robes. And when they knew that they were going to do some strenuous exercise or they were going to run, or they were going into battle, they would gird up, they would tie up and put it in a knot so that it wouldn't fall down and disrupt them. My friends, war demands the utmost preparation. You, right now, where you sit, are in a war. And this war is for your soul. If you don't believe me, just pay attention for two minutes the messages that are sent into your mind by the television or internet you play with. And you will find that all kinds of these messages are poured into your mind. And if you thought about them, they would horrify you. Absolutely astounding. But it is because we do not think about these messages that so many warriors in God's army right now are MIA. And the churches suffer. And because the churches suffer, Santa Maria suffers. Because Satan does not need you to deny Christ. He's perfectly happy with you telling all your people at work that you're a Christian. All he needs to do is to get you to think about anything else. Just don't think about who Jesus is. Don't think about what he's done. Don't think about where your relationship with Christ is at this moment. My friends, Satan wants that of you because he knows that when we are not thinking about Christ or about our growing in Christ, we will be killed in action. Because loose lips still sink ships. 
Come on, Navy guys, that was a shout out to you. As important as a soldier ducking under enemy fire, it is vital that you and I bring under control all these loose flowing thoughts that would impede your spiritual progress in mind. And that is why we must prepare our minds for action. And we prepare our minds for action by hoping in grace. Now let me give you one tool so that you can prepare your mind for action this week. One day this week, or even if it's just one evening this week, don't go to the television or to the internet for entertainment. Now, I know many of us have to use the the internet for work, but you will be able to tell the difference. And then, when you do this, with the time that you save, invest it in memorizing 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because if you and I trust in God's promises to honor His Word, then you will find that this verse that we're talking about today will pay dividends for the rest of your life. As you fight repeated battle after battle after battle for your mind and your heart and your soul. My friends, this is not about managing your sin. It's not about merely overcoming some particular fault. It's about taking the next step in your relationship with Jesus so that you will know him more. And as you know him more, you will therefore love him and trust him more. Spend the rest of your time, after memorizing this very short verse, doing something creative. Exercise that image of God that he put in you so that you can develop your relationship with him or with whomever it is who is next to you. And that is one way that you can prepare your mind for action by putting your hope in grace. Our first point today is prepare for action. And our next point comes from the next phrase in this verse, fight mental flab. Now I know, I watch Facebook enough to know that there are many of us health experts in here and we're all about making our bodies strong, but what about making your minds just as strong? Again, I take it from 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, put your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I need you to trust me. I need you to hang with me just for a moment. I'm going to go into a couple of things that you need to understand so that your minds will be prepared, okay? Christians are what are known as dualists. We believe that we are physical beings and we believe that we are spiritual beings. There's different parts of our physical being. There are different parts of our spiritual being. Now, how exactly you define How that looks is a matter of difference between Bible-believing and Christ-honoring churches. What you need to know is that me, Dallas Willard, and J.P. Moreland are right. The spiritual side of us means that you have a mind, 
Our mind is very simple. It's what we think with. The Bible also describes us as having a heart. Our heart is where you value. What does that mean? Our heart is where you love. What is it that you love? And it's where you hate. What is it that you hate? These are what you value. Now, the physical side of us means that we have a body. Our body is where we gain and expend energy chasing after the things that our heart tells us to chase after because our minds have it right in front of us so that we value it. Now, all three of these aspects are essential. As I said, the mind is the gate. Our heart cannot value what the mind does not think about. And our body will not supply energy for chasing after something that our heart is not inclined to do. Ladies, if you did not think about chocolate cake, your heart would not value it. If your heart did not value it, your body wouldn't chase after it. See, look, I've been saying for years this Christianity stuff is simple. I didn't say following Jesus was easy. Amen? This is what we need to know. This is what we need to understand if we're going to know what being sober-minded is all about. Wayne Grudem says, sober-mindedness refers to not letting the mind wander into any other kind of mental intoxication. You ever let your mind start wandering and it goes in an area that may not be sinful, but it's, you know that you shouldn't be going there. That's mental intoxication. And it gets worse if we keep allowing our minds to go there. We become addicted. And these addictions inhibit our spiritual alertness or any laziness of mind which lulls us into sin through carelessness or simply by default. Hebrews puts this in a particularly memorable way. I like how Hebrews says it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and let, and let us lay aside the sin that clings so closely to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we lay aside every weight? How do we lay aside every sin that clings so closely to us? He tells us in the next two verses. He says, look to Jesus. Consider Jesus. Set your mind on Christ, on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, I would wager a fair amount of money that most people in this room are not planning some great, horrific sin right now where you are sitting. But every single one of us has a weight that's pulling us down, that's pulling us away from Jesus. Something that in and of itself is not sinful. It could be an inordinate desire to shop, perhaps an over-fondness for a particular person or sports team. It might be dwelling too much on the pain of our soul, but whatever it is, it begins in the mind. We let it stay here, and when we let it stay here, our heart 
begins to fondle it and, and examine it and think about it and desire it. And the body has no choice but to chase after it because the heart is so intent. Nevertheless, whatever temptation we play with leads us away from Him who is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. Look to Jesus. Consider Jesus. Again, righteousness begins with the mind. It processes in the heart and moves through the body. That is why we must prepare for action. And we do this when we put our hope, when we put our thoughts, when we put our loves and our desires in the grace that God loves to pour out on us and give us and bless us with. As I said a moment ago, all Satan needs to do is distract you from that which is truly beautiful. From him who is truly worthy of our examination and our caressing and our loving and bringing into us. So let me give you another piece of armor that doubles as a weapon. And this weapon is powerful against the enemy who would wish to distract you from Jesus. Service. A powerful weapon in the army of the one who loves Jesus is doing something for someone you ordinarily would not have done. Here at Grace, we're always looking to give opportunities to Jesus lovers so that they can serve others and therefore be blessed. We have a senior in our church right now that needs a bit of concrete removed and some more concrete repaved. We have some ladies in need of some car servicing and they can't pay for it. And so we have a deacon team who does that kind of work. We have numerous opportunities every Sunday morning to serve right here. We need people to prepare and clean up coffee. We need people, all you have to do is be able to smile. All you got to be able to do is smile and we will put you at a door and give you the best job of the church. We need people to wipe baby butts in the nursery. Okay, I know that was out of line. You really got to be a saint to do that. But when you are serving, you are preparing your mind for action because you are hoping in the fact that God himself is going to come through for you because you took your time and your effort and your treasure and you served someone else. That is what is going to get you through the temptations you will face this week. The grace that will come from Jesus repeatedly as you trust him. So prepare your mind for action. Fight mental flab. And then let me give you the punchline. This is where Peter really nails the point home. Where do we actually gain the strength we need to prepare our minds for action? It comes as we put our hope in grace, or as I have it in your notes, trust in God's work. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully. Rest it. 
Just like when you sit in a chair and you put your whole body weight in a chair, set all of the hope that is in you instead of a flimsy stool that is not strong enough, set it fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This idea, the grace that will be brought to you, or as I like to say, the grace to come, the grace that is already heading your way, the grace that is repeatedly and fully and hugely sent from the throne of grace. That is what you must put your hope in. That is what you must depend on. Now, obviously, here in Peter, he's talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, now that's clearly when Jesus returns and we will ascend with him and be with him forever. It is also just as clearly meaning that every time we experience the revelation of Jesus Christ, when we go to his word, when we take the time to actually pray in his word, when we gather together as believers in Sunday school class, in small groups, this is when the revelation is coming and that is when God's grace is being brought to us and in that we hope. Not in my strength because I'm so good. Not in your strength because you're so handsome or pretty. But because you have the hope of God's grace coming and descending on you and washing over you so that you can be the men and women of God that he has created you to be and that you have longed all your life secretly to be. Trust that hope. By the way, this idea of getting together and having mutual hope sessions in Sunday school and small groups, this is exactly why on August 10th, 17th, and 24th, we are going to have our discipleship fair. And we're going to advertise these groups so that you can get involved. And again, please, if you have any suggestions, if you have any thoughts, if you have any questions before then, please let me know because I would like to add more Sunday school groups and, and small, small groups to our discipleship fair. <laughs> but I also have kind of a mean trick up my sleeve. We're going to have all this in the gym. It's going to happen for those three weeks in the gym. And guess where all the coffee is going to be served that week, those weeks? Yeah, you're going to have to walk out of your way. I know how good Baptists works because I am one. I'm sure it was a Baptist who invented coffee and donuts. But this idea of continued grace pouring out as a river, we sang about it from the throne of grace. This is why I constantly preach the phrase, trust the promises of God for you in Christ. I preach this phrase, trust the promises of God for you in Christ to myself because I need to hear the good news. And I preach this phrase, trust the promises of God for you in Christ because everyone else needs to hear this good news that God is going to come through on his promises. 
And because he's going to come through on his promises, you can hope in grace. And when you hope in grace, that is going to enable you to prepare your minds for actions. This continuing nature of grace to come celebrates this both and. Both when Jesus returns, we will get grace, and everything that happens for believers at this moment, and this moment, and every moment between now and when the sun extinguishes. You can depend on grace. And because you live hoping in grace to come, you can live like this is not your home. You can live with a measure of victory over sin by actually exercising your mind and your heart and your body. You can do it in light of the hope that Christ gives you every moment when you choose to receive it. But, I know there's at least one person in this room who's got a question in their mind. Wait, 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 Greg. You're, you're, you're talking about putting effort into this whole grace thing. But I'm, I'm quicker than that. I know that we are saved by grace through faith, and that means I don't have to earn my salvation. Exactly. I didn't say you did. Let me paraphrase and then quote one of my favorite authors. Authors, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. You will never hear this pulpit say that you have to earn grace. That, that's an anathema. That, that, that's a non-starter. It doesn't happen. You will never hear this pulpit say you need to earn your salvation. You will hear this pulpit say that you need to exhibit effort. Sometimes miraculous effort because that's what it takes for God to work in you to overcome your trials and temptations. Listen, here's a good definition of grace. Grace is God acting in our life to do what we cannot do on our own. Grace is God acting in our life to do what you and I cannot do on our own. I've been living with this body for 42 and a half years and I know that it cannot do very much. Just ask my wife. But my friends, grace to come makes your effort effective. So hope in grace. Hope in that grace that will make your effort effective. Therefore, prepare your mind for action. Just like you cannot really say that you trust someone without doing something that demonstrates your trust, you can also not say that you hope in something without doing something that demonstrates your hope. And that is, that, that is why we go to God and we exert the effort that makes this hope known not only to the people who are watching us, but to our own hearts as well. You see, because God does not wait 
for us to give grace. He doesn't wait for us. He's already sending grace. God sends a preemptive strike of grace. Because if he did not, we would still be held hostage to the sins that tie us down and bind us that we cannot escape from them. That is exactly why you and I can walk by faith. We can walk in a living hope that this grace, this working of God to do what we cannot do will actually bring something about. Something worthwhile instead of just something that I can manufacture myself. You and I can live expectantly, especially in light of our temptations, because God is already working in and through and for us by grace. Prepare your mind for actions. Hope in grace. Now Peter concludes this line of thought with verse 16 where he says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, to be holy as God is holy involves at least two things. The first is the obvious one, avoiding sin. But that's not really all that holiness is. Holiness is also actively employing your heart, soul, mind, and strength to loving God, to desiring God, to walking with God. Let me allow Wayne Grudem again. He says, To be holy as God is holy involves not only avoiding outward sin, but also maintaining an instinctive delight in God and His holiness as, get this, an undercurrent of our heart and mind throughout the day. Just like you go swimming in the ocean, you got the riptide, it just pulls you right out. When God's holiness is working in you, He just pulls you right to Him. Let me give you one last weapon in your arsenal against the temptations that will attack you this week. Let me give you a place, a fortress, where you can find God's grace already there, already waiting for you, already ready to make you powerful to fight your temptations. Start by making a list, your own list. Don't copy anyone else's. Why God, why Jesus is worth seeing as beautiful. Consider in your mind, what makes Jesus awesome? And then if you want, you can take the next step. And the next step is to think, bring before your mind whatever flavor of sin, whatever weight it is that you constantly run to. And start to make a list of why this really isn't all that great, especially compared to Jesus. Put it on your iPhone. And when you face this temptation this week, whip it out and remind yourself, remind your mind to hold Jesus before yourself so that your heart can value Jesus and then your body will exert the energy to chase after it. The reason why you and I need to keep Christ ever before our eyes is because whatever it is that we constantly look at, that is what our heart will desire. Whatever it is. 
Keeping something in front of your eyes is simply another way of saying that you think about it, that you want to fondle it in your heart, and that you secretly desire whether you can or not use your body to chase after it. Now what on earth could enable us to do this? Grace. That's it. That's why you and I can prepare our minds for action by putting our hope in grace. Instead of retaining that pet snake of temptation that will kill you in the end, nourish a love of God by forcing your mind to dwell on the hope you have in the grace to come that makes our effort effective. Which is exactly why Paul writes, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in all good works. Almighty Jesus, we cannot do this on our own. I cannot rely on my strength for two minutes. And that is why... I must put my hope in grace. I must put my hope in God working in me to do that which I cannot do of my own strength. God, empower your people this day. Cause us to desire to enable you to empower us so that we will be the men and women of God you have created us to be. So that we will seek after you and wish to follow wholeheartedly after you and bring glory to you because you are worthy of our best efforts. And our best efforts only come as we hope in the grace that you will give us for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.